This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Still got an eye on the trade deadline. Michael Bumpus joins us on Friday at Blue 42. We're seeing if there's a little bit of a snag in the scheduling or he might be along shortly. 710 ESPN Seattle's training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. I will be interested to see how Akella Witherspoon fits in in, in this secondary. He, he has a lot of the attributes that really tend to be accentuated in what Seattle does, and I do trust the Seahawks' ability to find corners. And they're in a, they're in a position where they, they need to find some corners, right? Shaquille Griffin was a solid starter, and I'm okay with the decision not to pay him what Jacksonville was paying him. But, man, you, you, DJ Reed is your most established starting corner, and that's a guy who's basically been a starter for half a year. Shaquille Griffin was not necessarily as big as probably the Seahawks wanted him as a cornerback, at least based off of you know their past prototypes. They like the tall guy on that side, on the left corner spot. And I, I feel like with the combination of Reed, theoretically on the other side, and I would write this down in pencil, but that's my belief is what the starting cornerback tandem would be going into the year, Witherspoon gives you a range that you had with Sherman just in terms of his overall length. And now it's a matter of is he going to be the kind of guy that he was at the beginning of his time with the uh, 49ers where he had a couple of really good games at the beginning of 2019. I mean, I mean, he was locking up with Mike Evans of the Bucks and looking really good. Or is he going to be a little Trey Flowers-esque? Where confidence-wise, when it's shaken, it really is shaken. Because that was his big problem in 2019. He got hurt, and then he came back, and he was just a mess and kept on getting picked on. From what Pete Carroll said, Trey Flowers, who's been the starter and been someone that they've worked with through three years, is in his fourth year of his deal. He's going to be competing with DJ Reed. Like that, those, those guys are on that side, and it's kind of Pierre Desir, Trey Brown. Demarius Randall. Yeah, Demarius Randall a little bit, but Randall's even been a safety before. I think your three legit challenges to start on the other side are Akella Witherspoon, Trey Brown, and and, and maybe Pierre Desir. I th- I think those are the three guys that are probably, and we'll we'll see how it, it goes. And Marquise Blair and Ugo Amadi are they're competing for that nickel cornerback spot, being that cornerback uh, when when they have five DBs on the field, which they're probably going to have a lot. We started the show by talking about quarterback rankings. I love the exercise. I, 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 I love going through the quarterbacks, and I know it's people will make fun of, like, is so-and-so elite? But that idea of who are the franchise quarterbacks, who are the guys that you say, as long as this player's on this team and he's healthy, they should be in the conversation to, to make the playoffs. That they, you can win week in and week out. You can rely on that guy to win, make the difference for you each and every week, and you'll get in the playoffs with that sort of formula. We know that Rodgers... We know that Mahomes, Brady's, you can't not have Brady in that group. Russell Wilson is in that group, absolutely. I don't know if he's as solidly in that group as he was one year ago. He's still solidly in it, though, right? It's the perception of other people, and I think a lot of other people saw the way that things went down the stretch, and they are going to say, whoa, whoa, what's up here? But did they see the full context? Did they watch the games and see maybe what could have been at play? And I think that, you know, there is blame to go around. 
I felt like Russ was somewhat shirking the blame off of himself with some of the comments that he made this offseason. But the offensive line, it's been an issue for a couple of years. The play calling felt like it was just stagnant and non-adaptive as the season went along too. So I'm surprised that that people maybe aren't as that people don't feel the same way that they should always have felt about Russell Wilson, where he's one of the best quarterbacks in the game. Uh, maybe this is strong reaction because of the idea that Russ was trying to push himself as an MVP, and then they feel like, oh, well, he's not actually an MVP. Like, he's good, but he's, like, in that sort of Roethlisberger range where he's just outside of the top quarterback conversation. Is he getting better or is he getting worse? I don't know. Over the course of last season, he got worse. Yeah. He went from playing the best stretch of football he has since the second half of 2015 to playing the most prolonged the most prolonged struggle I'd seen from him, certainly since the offense was, you could say, turned over to him. Since Marshawn, when he became the starter, he wasn't asked to do as much. Beginning at the end of 2015, he was asked to do a lot more for this team. And one of the things that was great about Russ is he could always give it to you when you needed it. He was always able to be that difference maker. But that was, that was, that was a prolonged struggle. There are different explanations that we've had. Schottenheimer, his offense got figured out, and he didn't have enough workable alternatives. He didn't have enough quicker solutions. That's one explanation. The offensive line's protection got significantly worse, and Russ started getting hit too much. And that's undoubtedly part of it. The third one was Russ was so fixated on throwing the ball downfield that he wouldn't adjust, that he wasn't recognizing the options that the offense was giving him. And then the fourth one is kind of that he aged and he's just not as good anymore. And that he's kind of, I felt for a long time, past two years, we're at a point where this is what you hope Russ sustains. It's not a question of what his ceiling is anymore. It's how long does he hold on to this level of play. And I certainly think that he is in that upper tier group and one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. There's no doubt about that in my mind. But I do have that question of, was la- the second half of last season, was that a sign of things to come? And he's now going to be at the point where he's trying to fight gravity and, and essentially stay as good as he was? Or are you at a point where, hey, that's kind of the aberration and he's going to get back to playing the way he did the first eight games of the season? You know, th- if it's an aberration or not, that that's interesting because he has to do some, I think, tailoring to his game as well. And I would like, honestly, and I think we all would, for the season to start off slow, but as time goes on, for him to get better as opposed to the opposite, right? I mean, the yes. the, the guns 100%. blazing beginning of the season. We saw with Tom Brady last year. That's true for the team. That That's true for not just Russ. This team's signature used to be that it took off in November. In 2012, yeah. in 2013, 2014. 2015 even, you looked at this team, they always finished better than they started. That hasn't been true for three years. And that's not just Russell, but Russell's a part of that. That's not just, I 100% agree with you. It's not how he starts, it's how he finishes. So if you're taking, if it takes a little bit of time to get used to the new offense, I'm totally fine with that. And I'm not going to, but... You it's going to be difficult to be patient though, right, exactly, because of the way that last season ended. There are going to be some people that are like, oh, what's going on, I would imagine, at first. And I would say, look, this thing takes time. And it's going to take time for Waldron, too. I mean, this is Waldron's first foray as an offensive coordinator, and we can't definitively say that he is going to have the offense moving at a better pace than it was last year. We can't. 
we would love to, obviously. But, I mean, look, they already have setback number one. I imagine they had some plans for uh, for uh, Dwayne Eskridge this season. And, I mean, if he's starting the season on the PUP, look, whether it's one week or two weeks or, or months – like this is a disaster for it's, it's, for him, you know. Like stinks, a person, yeah. yeah. Like you as a rookie wide receiver, and and Michael Bumpus has told us this. It, it's hard. It's really hard. Usually, what you see is year one to year two is where a wide receiver really figures things out. That's why DK Metcalf has been such an anomaly. He's been so good his first two seasons, and he, he actually did make a leap from his rookie to his second year. But yeah, if you aren't here for the installation of an offense and your uh, rookie, you're in trouble. So. This is training camp right now. This is a tertiary, uh, a side conversation, but the, the the next wide receiver, very curious as to who's going to step up. A lot of Penny Hart buzz uh, yesterday at training camp. Are you buying that? You know, I'm buying ben- Penny Hart buzz more than I'm buying buzz for Daryl Taylor or for Rashad Penny because it, it this this has been something that Penny has been uh, Penny Hart. Excuse me. This is something that Hart has been doing. Seemingly going back to OTAs, and he has done a very good job of just hanging on to this roster. There is something that they like about him. And remember, they, they, there's something they liked about David Moore, too. Moore splashed. When he splashed, he really splashed. So that's someone I'm keeping an eye on. And, and you know, if you're Freddie Swain, you're probably going to have to step your game up. All right. Let's, let's broaden it because the conversation about Russell and the QB rankings kind of comes from uh, Mike Sando's piece in The Athletic where he did his quarterback tiers. And for the third straight year, Russell Wilson is tier one, kind of that guy that you count on him to win each and every week. He is someone that you can rely upon to do that. He has no observable holes in his game. The one thing that was notable is last year, Russell Wilson, of the, five, the 50 people that Sando talks to who are drawn from coaches, executives, he was unanimous. Last year, all 50 people put him in tier one. This year, it was 40 of the 50 put him in Tier 1. There were 10 people that put him in Tier 2. There were some other ones that I think it's fascinating to run through the the list of quarterbacks. The guy who took the biggest slide was Ben Roethlisberger. He went from 8 to 16, and he went from being a guy that, I don't know, about half the half the executives and coaches thought was someone to give you a chance to win everyone, to, to the point where this year he actually, in this poll, got votes as Tier 4, which is— Yeah, he should. A, a veteran who is more suitable to be a backup now than a starter. Not even a, hey, he can win if all the other things go. You're right. They did start 11 and 0. Is, is Roethlis, where's, where's Roethlisberger now in, in the, in the quarterback sort of pantheon? Too much is being made of, of Roethlisberger's 11 and 0 start. And uh-huh. I, I didn't feel like that was a battle worth fighting this morning with the professor. But I, I look at Ben Roethlisberger right now as a guy that, is someone that will need to be replaced sooner rather than later. And how many quarterbacks have we seen this with over the last couple of seasons where, yeah, they might be good for the first couple of months of the year. I'm not denying the idea that Ben Roethlisberger could look like a semblance of himself for the first half of the season, but what's he going to look like at the end? Especially now that there's an extra game, you know? Like, the people are forgetting about that, and Roethlisberger's, his camp is leaking out that he's doing things that Tom Brady doesn't even do. You know, he's been more strict with his diet. Okay, does does that work? We had that conversation a little bit earlier with, um, you know, talking about Diego Castillo, who the Mariners just got, who's a little bit, you know, as far as shape goes, different, to be polite. That does not necessarily make you better if you're Ben Roethlisberger for this season. And, you know, when you have that elbow injury, which he, of course, suffered against the Seahawks back in 2019, that's something that when you're older, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a given that you come back from it the same way. 
I give you a choice, and this is not for the future. This is for 2021. 2021, okay. Baker Mayfield or Ben Roethlisberger, which quarterback do you want? Mayfield. Now, part of it is Stefanski's offense, I think, also is going to help Mayfield out a lot. Mayfield also has help with his running backs. If if we're talking individual of circumstance, though, I I also think I would take Baker because Mayfield has a little bit of, of, of... he has, he has mobility that I, I feel like with Roethlisberger right now, I don't know that he's still going to be able to shake guys off the way that he so often looked like a, I don't know, <laughs> a 16-year-old that's like taking care of a bunch of small children who are trying to take him down. You know, like he could just drag people around him like a lumbering giant. Roethlisberger or Carson Wentz for 2021? Wentz. Really? Where do you have Wentz? It, it, do you... Do you view him as a guy that could still be a tier two quarterback in yes. which, hey, he can't carry your team each and every week, but he's capable of it. He's yeah. someone that has a hole or two in his game, but that's that's a dude you can win with. He's and, back with Frank Reich. That offensive line in Indianapolis is good, which should help him hold on to the ball forever, which is his biggest problem. And also they play indoors. There's a lot of things that add up to this being a big bounce back year for Carson Wentz. You know that I have an irrational Dude, love of was, Carson Wentz. You know it. Been, I know it's irrational at this point, too. But. He's statistically been the one of the worst quarterbacks in the league over two years. Like, over an extended extended run okay. of time, he's been bad. Where would you rank Philadelphia's situation amongst NFL teams over the last two years, then, though? I, I would say it's in the bottom third of the league as far really? as... Yeah, with they're all the drama? Fa- with they're all the not tr- that... They're not that removed. They're not that far removed from winning a Super Bowl. And that's bro. what makes it so crazy. It was such a dramatic situation. This Howie Roseman GM, who is like Littlefinger and just sticks around. Actually, not even like Littlefinger. He's like Grima Wormtongue in, in Lord of the Rings. He's just like somehow just uh, next to the owner and he's got his ear and the owner can't see the f- anything. And, and he's moving on from man. a Super Bowl winning coach. There's part of that, though, that is the result of your quarterback playing poorly. Like you say that, oh, the bad situation has resulted in impact of the quarterback. It's also possible that your quarterback that you paid all that money for and that you traded for, that his poor play led to all the dysfunction. Like everybody hates each other because the quarterback cratered. <laughs> I, he was so bad last year, and I will not deny awful. it. You know, and I, I, know, I know Lydia uh, Cruz used to give you a lot of crap for having him above, above – uh, Dak Prescott, and I can't do that anymore with Dak, but I will say like, he has more potential with him than Ben Roethlisberger does for this coming season. And I, I, I'm really curious to see what he does now that he's partnered back up with Frank Reich again, because those two they worked, they clicked together, and that is a part of it sometimes with quarterbacks. It's not just the quarterback individual of circumstance. It's who is the guy working with if you're not necessarily one of the all-time greats. Uh, our training camp coverage here at 710 ESPN Seattle brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We will get back to some either-or questions with the Seahawks as well as the rest of the NFL coming up at 830 with this or that. We're less than five hours now away from the trade deadline. I, I still do see the starting pitchers that I was hoping that the Mariners had, the guys that are candidates. Seattle's not in the rental market. Like they and, and Kyle Anderson is a rental, but he's one of those low cost rentals, right? Like you traded two prospects most people have not heard of. Yeah. Traded Carter Bins, who is a catcher behind the the prospect catcher that you're hoping is the long term answer in Cal Raleigh, and you traded a eighteen year old right hander with some promise in Joaquin Tejada for him. So he is sort of that's a guy that will give you a better he's a better fifth starter than what you currently have. He's a better fifth starter than Darren McCacken, who's basically just gotten to the major leagues. I still hold out hope that the Mariners are going to be able to pull off a trade for for a starter that they can add to the front of the rotation. It would kind of be 
It will be one of the bigger deals at this point because they weren't in the rental market. We saw them get Diego Castillo yesterday, and this is clearly the Mariners deciding they're willing to pay raises to Castillo that they 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 probably were not going to reinvest in Kendall Graveman in this offseason because I think Graveman has been a, a better reliever this year than, than Castillo. And they are giving up some prospects, but they're not giving up nearly as much as they got in exchange for Graveman. That's right. And does the trade make you feel better about the deal of giving up Graveman? Like, I, I do. I do feel better, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't think we can take anything for granted when you're bringing somebody in that Tampa Bay was willing to move on from. Uh, a couple of questions that I think are, are great that were raised by Ryan Divish on, on Twitter in, in the last 20 minutes. You know, yeah, you have more team control with with Diego Castillo, but how much is Graveman going to make as a free agent versus how much is Castillo going to make in arbitration? That's Fair a great question. question. Yeah, I, you know, who who knows if he's going to necessarily be the bargain for you that you would expect, especially given the way that he's pitched over the last couple of seasons. At the very least, the trade of Graveman shows you that Seattle did not expect to re-sign him in the offseason, mm-hmm. right? Like, that that makes that pretty clear. And who did? You know, I, 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 I like him a lot. Everyone in the clubhouse loved him, but... He's having a career year as a reliever, and if what's in his best interests, it would be, I think, short-sighted of him to look at the Mariners as the best situation for he, his family, and his future. Like, this is his best chance to earn. This offseason is his best chance that he'll ever have, probably, to make the kind of dollars that are generational wealth that can, you know, go down for years and years. Does this come down to, does this decision come down to how you feel about this foundation? Like, is, 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 that, is that what this, this question about whether or not trading Graveman is? Because I think all of us are on the same page. We love Graveman. We, we, we understand how valuable he was to the clubhouse, and this was a gut punch to the guys in that clubhouse. I get it from a baseball value point. Like, I, I get the trade, and I actually feel that people that are really upset about it and think that somehow Jerry DePoto has yanked the, the rug out from underneath the winner, that those are people that are just praying to get to the wild card. That that's, that's yeah, the upside. Because be that, that's, that's kind of, if you get, they made a trade that they think gives them a better chance of getting over the hump two and three years from now. Right, and he's with you for a while where we, you don't know that Graveman's going to be that guy next year. I. I, I have questions about that. He's been great this season, but again, relievers are so difficult to predict year to year. You could say the same thing for Diego Castillo. He's just younger, and I think that that is definitely a feather in the cap. You know, Jerry also, Danny, mentioned some of the guys that they have that are recovering from Tommy John surgery as being a part of next year's bullpen as well. While I don't necessarily know that all of them are going to work out, I know, like with Ken Giles, I'm no, I'm not. I'm not in. See, on that. I like Giles. I like the addition. I of covered him in Houston. You're you're going to have the exact same experience that you had with Rafael Montero, perhaps with better numbers, at least based off of my record. Well, that's great. You get get it with better numbers. We get a better version of Rafael Montero. Yeah, Sign me up. Yeah, yeah. So it's not an ERA of ten or nine or whatever it was when Montero got shipped off to Houston. And uh, there's another dude recovering from Tommy John surgery. And off the top of my head, I forget his name. But DePoto did mention that there's a couple of guys that are waiting in the wings, too, that are, in addition to Castillo are going to give this bullpen a lot of lively arms going forward with Seawald and with, with uh, Steckenrider and such. 
Now, there is an update from Mark Feinsand, who covers the league uh, for, for MLB.com. Count the Yankees, Rays, and Mariners among the suitors for Jose Barrios. They join the Padres, Blue Jays, and Mets as interested teams. Barrios is expected to be moved before the 4 p.m. Eastern deadline, so mm. we're a little less than five hours away from that. What's your feeling about Barrios? You're clearly competing with other teams that are probably willing to give up more right now for the value that Barrios provides this year. The Mariners are in there because there's an extra year. You're going to have him for another right. year beyond this one, and then he's going to become a free agent. That's the Mariners part of this. So this might be a question of, hey, Seattle Seattle doesn't see him as, as important. He's more valuable to a team like the Rays or a team like the Yankees than or Padres. Who are more solidly in the playoffs and are looking for someone who's going to make a difference in the playoffs for them. Where the Mariners, hey, yeah, we we want him to help us try and chase down a playoff spot this year. But really, really, we want him for, for next year. And that, that changes it a little bit. How, how do you feel about a, a guy who's a rental plus one year? I am curious as to if a guy that right now has an ERA that's three and a half. And then that's not he's the end of BL. He's a good pitcher, no doubt. But that, that no, he's a frontline starter. Is like he an ace? Is he an ace in the sense of what Max Scherzer was a couple years ago? Is no. he worth giving up the guys that if the Twins supposedly wanted, like an Emerson Hancock or George Kirby? Because it sounds like that's who you'd have to give up. I, I don't. I, I I'm not saying I would necessarily be opposed to it. I don't really care that much about prospect rankings. I feel like that it's it's something that we put a little bit too much stock into. But you're probably going to have to give up someone like that to make this trade happen, right, Danny? Because, I mean, the San Diego Padres, I would imagine right now, just given what the what the Dodgers just did, the Padres are going to get aggressive. We have seen the Padres be aggressive over the last couple of years, right? Like, they don't give a crap about what they have to give up, whether it's money or it's prospects. Obviously, you know, with the Austin Nola trade, like, are they kicking themselves over getting rid of Ty France right now? They might be. You know, I, I, I look at this team, and I think you're going to have to outbid San Diego among these other teams, and I don't know that you're going to want to go down that none road. None of those other teams have as bank, a big a bank account as you do it when it true. comes to prospects. That's that's true, but are you willing to be more aggressive than San Diego? That, I, I guess that's what I'm asking. Is like Comparatively, San Diego, I feel like they don't care about their spending limit where the Mariners clearly do, and are you willing to go over that spending limit where San Diego maybe wouldn't? In terms of prospects, because I don't know if the Padres can pony up the kind of. Pro- I'm I'm in I'm mi- of mixed feelings. Somebody like Kirby and Emerson Hancock, who are guys that are multiple years away from getting to the big leagues. I, I'm I I get holding those guys out and saying, "Hey, we really don't want to give up." I also think there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, and all of those guys' arm injuries. And if you could get someone like Barrios, who's going to help you next year, what's your starting rotation going to look like next year? Like you do, if you're going to say, "Hey, p- playoffs are a long shot this year," and and I get that, that's probably a realistic assessment. Who's going to be your starting is, pitcher next year? Is who, Paxton who, in the conversation? What's your rotation? Is Paxton in the conversation at all? No, 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 no. no. Okay. Okay. If, if you take a flyer on him, but no, absolutely okay. not Just counting as a flyer. on him. Okay, so well, are you got you got Gonzalez? Obviously, you have uh, Logan Gilbert, who I would imagine is maybe your one. I'm Kikuchi. assuming you pick up Kikuchi's option. Flexin, Flexin's there because you got another that's, year of him. I mean, that's that's a decent four. It's not great. Um, it's not better than it was this year. You need another guy that's going to be among. Barrios would be your 
one or one A next year. Like I, I am. If that's a if that's a prospect that's a couple years away, I think I'm willing to pull the trigger on that. It is Danny and Gallant coming up next. We'll get to this or that. It's time for our favorite either or conversation: Graveman or Castillo. That's where it starts. You are listening to Danny and Gallant, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I like to let this one breathe just a little bit. I like to think that on my deathbed, when, when I when I hear that beat, I will still nod my head and start thinking, who's the black sheep? Where's the black sheep? Don't know who I am or when I'm coming, so you speak. Don't know what I have. What, listen here. Are those, are those going to be your last words? You're Maybe. Croak that out. Like, engine, engine, number nine on the New York transit line. If my train goes off the tracks, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Yep, geriatric rap coming at you here on a Friday morning, Danny and Gallant. I want DJ, a live cam. DJ, you got some, you got some either or questions for us. I think the choice would, is yours. I, I think that those would be good last words, or just say I hit the money in the, and then you go. I think that's good. <laughs> I think that'd be good last words too. Um, all right, first up here with all the trade deadline moves that the Mariners have made, and some controversial ones, some that people might like. I ask you guys this: Would you rather have Kendall Graveman and JT Chargois? Or Abraham, or Abraham Toro and Diego Castillo. What? You got to narrow down the question: Is it going okay. forward, or is it twenty twenty one? Is it is, is the criteria for this question? I think this really depends. Is yeah. it about what they do for you in twenty twenty one, or is it about for you twenty twenty one and beyond? Twenty twenty one and beyond. Give me the second package. Same. I'll take the second. And. You know, maybe maybe as a little wrinkle here. Do you really want to have that 2021 second wild card appearance, or do you want to have the potential? Yes, yes, yes I do. Yes, I want. I want to get in the or, playoffs. Ball. Or, or, or the potential to win a World Series, be a World Series contender next year, because you're going to lose Kendall Graveman this offseason. You know that. So, what would, what would you rather have? Being sold on potential again after 20 years, which I understand for a lot of people out there, you're like, no, I I, I want the one playoff appearance. Or do you want, do, do you want to see what happens? Do you want to roll the dice and see if it's better next year because of the moves that you just made? I'm in the latter camp because I just don't think you're going to be that happy for very long about a, a playoff appearance. It's more going to be, to me, like relief. You're going to sigh with relief looking back on a potential playoff appearance, but you're done with that one wild card play-in game. Is that depressing? I No, it's not. I, I believe that this team has earned the right to be added to. I, I, I do. But I think that these trades specifically that we're looking at, the trades that they made follow what Jerry DePoto said they're going to do, which is we're not, we're not chasing a playoff appearance this season. We're looking at at improving ourselves this season and beyond. You have to look real hard at the and beyond part with this. What they did fits into what he said they're going to do. I think he what he did fits into what is realistic for this team. I, if they don't add a starting pitcher, if they don't add somebody that 
that really improves them this year, I'll be bummed, and and I'll I'll understand why those guys in the clubhouse feel that like we kind of got we kind of got sold out a little bit. They, we kind of had the rug yanked out from under us. That still might be the best thing for this franchise long term. I g- give me the second. Give me give me Castillo and Toro over Graveman and Shaggy. Shaggy. I will also say to your questions, which is a really good question, Paul, about would you rather have a wild card or... I thank you. Well, I would love to compete for a World Series. As a Mariners fan, I would love for my favorite team to compete for a World Series. I will also say this. I look at the Royals in 2014. Yeah. They barely made the wild card yep. and then they ended they were one game away from winning the world series because and then they won it the next and year. then they won it the next year and granted they were able to add like they added johnny cueto in that um ensuing trade deadline 2015 to really bolster the rotation but i just look at that as like to me baseball playoffs are the playoffs in all sports where it's like you don't know what's going to happen like the brewers like three years ago made to the nlcs and they they Pretty much, we're just Yelich and Mike Moustakis. That's fair. I don't think that there were the dreadnoughts that there are in baseball in 2021. That there um, in 2014, I don't think they existed to the same degree that they are in 2021. Dodgers, Padres, Red Sox uh, to an extent, Astros. I, I feel like right now there are four teams that are you really going to beat all four of them? If you were to go up against all four of them, I, I feel like you lose every single one of those series. All right, next. Who would you bet on having a better 2021? LJ Collier or Daryl Taylor? Mm. That's a that's a good one. Because part of me is just so resistant to seeing hype about a player that has yet to play. It's Collier. It's Collier, man. Collier, Collier's, Collier was a productive player last year. Collier has more experience, and Collier plays a position that's going to allow him not much, but will have a bigger impact. What are we What are we going to measure it by, though? Because with Collier, he doesn't seem like he's going to be a sack guy. And with Taylor, he's going to be playing a position where you're not really going to see a whole lot of production either. We're going to be basing yep. this off of entirely what we see. Yep. Hmm. You know, the, the, now that I think about it, I know Collier is not going to jump off the screen. I feel like there's potential for Taylor to jump off the screen. Nope. Nope. No? I don't think so, man. I I, I think I've seen Collier play. I've seen Collier progress. It's Collier. Daryl Taylor could be a very adequate player, but we don't know if he's going to play. Adequate. And he plays the least valuable and the least impactful of the three linebacker positions in Seattle's defense. Fair enough. I I guess I noticed Michael Kendrick's impact when he was here playing that Sam position, and I felt like I noticed K.J. Wright's impact when he was playing that position too. But now that I think about it, is Daryl Taylor, am I saying to right now that Daryl Taylor has the potential to be what K.J. Wright was at that strong side position when he was in there? Uh, Both those dudes have been pro bowlers before they made that switch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just talked LJ myself Collier. LJ Collier too. Yeah. All right, well, last night the NBA draft occurred, which is kind of lame now because Woj just spoils the top three picks five hours before Oh, the yeah, draft you were now, so, so mad about this. Yes, I was. I'm like, okay, I know <laughs> that Kate Cunningham's going to go number one, but you don't know about the Rockets and the Cavs. Like, why are we spoiling this? Anyways, so I ask you guys, NBA draft or NFL draft? NFL draft. They, they've, they've perfected the, the performance the NBA draft, if I'm not mistaken, you still have guys that are being drafted and wearing hats of the other team before they get moved on. 100% the reason why the NBA draft stinks. Yeah. 
because the NFL has figured out how to make it a television property in which when there's a trade that happens, the dude goes up and is announced as a member of the team that's acquiring him. Yes. And the NBA doesn't do it. Which because is weird. Because the NBA, I think it relates to salary cap and that they're so freaked out about like making sure that the accounting is done correctly and how all of that it that nobody's trying to cheat, but it ruins it as a television idea. They're trying to make the NBA draft, like the NFL draft, or different. and By bringing up parents? <laughs> my mom's in town this weekend, and my mom could not stop talking last night over dinner about the fashion show that not just includes these players coming out, but also the parents. There was some dude who came out with like a duster and a cowboy hat on, <laughs> looking like he was, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, Wyatt Earp and Tombstone. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make up for the fact that dudes are wearing wrong hats and you can't follow what's going on. And then they stop going away from the live picks once you get to the latter half of the first round. It's also there's eight dudes in the draft that matter. There's eight there's eight dudes in the draft that matter. And then the rest is just a guy that you've heard of, followed by three guys you haven't heard of from international teams. Yep. And also, I think college basketball has been such where you don't really kind of established these guys as stars over a couple of years, which college football is still somewhat able to do. You know, Trevor Lawrence is a guy that everyone knows about. Cade Cunningham, sort of? But, I mean, the guy loses in, what, the second round of the NCAA tournament? Did they did they even go very far in it? Where, you know, the guy that I thought would go higher than he did, Jalen Suggs, you know, that guy's going, what, fifth overall? It's just a little bit different, I think, with these basketball players, too. There's just not the same hype attached to them that there, that there was maybe a couple of years ago. That is This or That, a Friday tradition here at Danny and Gallant. Coming up next, we'll do some either-or questions. Which quarterbacks are on the downswing? Who's on the upswing? Where does Russell Wilson fit in? That's ahead. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. This is the Beehive song, isn't it? Right? This is Beyonce? Yeah? Beyonce yeah. and Jay-Z. Oh. Yeah, well. isn't it? It doesn't Jay-Z come in and, and spit Ruin the it? verse, though? Oh, oh yeah. No. He's great. Yes. You don't like Jay-Z? No. What? Really? No. Oh, that's qu- highly questionable. I don't like Really? Me. Well, he's, he's, he's so New York. I just don't like the New York side of yeah? it. Yeah? Yeah. New York's the home of hip-hop. Also, also I don't know. There's there's something about me that's that's looking at him and Beyonce, and I'm like, mm, I don't know if you deserve that. I don't know. I don't well, know. I, I, I will say this. Beyonce is clearly past him. Yes. Like, there's... I, I, I've, become, I've become a fan of Beyonce. My wife listens to a lot of Beyonce, but, like, legitimately, and she put out a live album, the Homecoming album, from her performance at Coachella, which is awesome. She sounds great, and he comes on, and he sounds like butt cheeks. Like, he absolutely <laughs> sounds terrible. Like, I'm like, have you just been sitting there smoking stogies behind the stage? Like, just, just sounds awful. And I was like, she sounds really good, so it's not the sound system. That's you, buddy. But I believe that's the song. It's off her album, and she's dancing around him when he spits his verse about having quick handle like Van Exel, which is a pretty good verse. But uh, That's a yeah, nice anyway. little line. Uh, anywho, uh, speaking of butt cheeks, that's the end of the season for the Seattle Seahawks this past year. <laughs> like that transition? That's why they pay me the marginal bucks. Uh, how did how did the Seattle season end last year? It ended. It was cheeks. That thing was straight cheeks the way it ended. And that makes us 
look at the list that Mike Sando put out of quarterback rankings. Russ went down slightly. Not that far. He's still in Tier 1, but he's not a unanimous Tier 1 quarterback. Sando does his great rankings if you don't have the athletic piece. Basically, if the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, based off of, of about 50 voters or so, had Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers as one and two. Tom Brady's number three over Russell Wilson, who's number four. And then Deshaun Watson rounds out the top five, the top tier. I would say that Wilson's probably still ahead of Tom Brady. I love Brady, but the playoffs... I think that he was carried by that defense a lot more than some people are. Yeah, they looking. win the they win the title because of that he didn't play well in the NFC Championship game. They they won that because Rodgers played worst, and that's largely due to Tampa Bay's pass rush. We were talking about quarterbacks on the upswing and on the downswing. Is Russell Wilson on the downswing? I feel like he's on that level spot where it doesn't look like he's necessarily going to go up or down. Maybe we have figured out what he is as a quarterback. He wanted to be an MVP going into last year. And maybe that's just not something that's ever going to happen for him. Maybe he'll be close, but never quite, sort of like we saw with Drew Brees his entire career, which is not the end of the world. I mean, Drew Brees, everyone respects him as an all-time quarterback. We'll see where it goes. It feels like he is in that where we're going we're gonna to base our appraisal on him off the most recent batch of games. And, and he's, he's clearly in that top five. He is clearly in tier one. Is he going to get better? Is he going to be able to sustain it for a whole season? Is he going to be able to finish the season better than he started it? Like, all of those are are open questions. I think the rankings after that are what I found most fascinating. So Josh Allen is six. Josh Allen is at the top of Tier 2. And Sando made the point of, like, look, there were definitely— he made the greatest leap, and he is closer to being in Tier 1 and to Deshaun Watson than he is to the next guy on the list, which is Matthew Stafford. Is that high or low for Stafford? High. This is all off potential. We're talking about a guy who's had multiple it's, injuries it's not over the last potential. couple of years. He he has been hurt, but it's it's off of the belief that if you surround him with a competent team, if you surround him with a competent and if you he has been locked on one of the worst franchises in the entire league, which is objectively true. Now you can say, hey, he wasn't able to single handedly lift him up out of that, which is why why he's in tier two. He's Stafford. Stafford is probably in the position where. He's got the most volatile spot going forward because why? either he's going to confirm what everybody loves about him or he's going to show why people that detract from him think of him as a stat monster who, who looks great on a bad team but can't really make a difference. Well, let's talk about another bad organization that the quarterback actually was able to bring the level up of. Philip Rivers brought up the level of San Diego. It's true. Very true. Why Why was Matt Stafford never able to do that with Detroit? Detroit, awful situation. I'm, a, I'm, I'm with you there. But I think there's something more to it. I feel like with Rivers, Rivers, you actually have a legitimate leader. With Matt Stafford, I don't know that you necessarily have that. And you're putting this guy into the same spot that Jared Goff was, where Jared Goff wasn't really the leader de facto of the Los Angeles Rams before. So there's an accountability thing that I wonder about with Stafford holding everybody else accountable. Because this is the first time now in the middle of his career, late in his career, 10-plus years into his career, I think. He was, what, 2009 first overall pick, where he's finally going to be thrust into that role. And I don't know. I don't know if he's ready for that. That's a that's a difficult place to be all of a sudden put in after being with, uh, you know, drinking the loser juice of a loser juice factory like Detroit for such a long time. Rivers had some good coaches he played for, right? Like, that, that, the Chargers are not a great franchise, but he played for Marty Schottenheimer. True. I mean, Schott- Schottenheimer is, is, is an all-time coach. But that like, was you could, a long you could, time ago. That's 2009. Yeah, but that's, I mean, he, he had multiple years with Schottenheimer that have been there. Who's the best coach that Stafford's played for? Caldwell? 
I guess Jim, Jim Caldwell. Caldwell. Jim Caldwell's the best coach that he's played for. There is the the ownership and the way that they the things that they've done and the guys that they've gotten rid of. I mean, that franchise was so bad that Calvin Johnson decided he'd rather quit than yeah. continue to play. St- Stafford's an interesting, an interesting, interesting player to me. I think he might be the most fascinating player in the league this year because he's always been the quarterback's quarterback. He's always been the guy that Rodgers and and Peyton Manning and all these other Everyone guys. Likes when him. we talk to Brock, what does Brock say? Might be the most physically talented dude to throw the ball. Like he jumps out at you, and he and he hasn't. He has not won a playoff game. We've They've seen, been good enough to get into the playoffs twice. We've seen so many physically talented quarterbacks that don't actually reach their potential. And part of it is situation and circumstance and all that, but we we've seen we've seen guys like that, right? Who? Who's a guy that? Because like it's not ability. Like Jamarcus Russell was a bust. Like he might have the most physical ability. Matthew Stafford is not a bust. Matthew Stafford has borderline Hall of Fame numbers. He's just never won. I'm not sure if there are other guys like Stafford, in in which you have a body of work where it is statistically impressive contrasted with a lack of meaningful wins and then you have to say hey i get it he's on a terrible team well dante culpepper won more than he did culpepper somebody that racked up some some pretty significant and serious stats breeze certainly won maybe not as much as 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 you thought he should and he's stafford stafford is an outlier in my mind because he lasted he's been a number one you can't call him a disappointment as a number one overall pick you can't but call you him can't, a disappointment, but as you far can't as, call him a success either. As far as guys who maybe had it all and weren't able to necessarily make it translate, I mean, how about could we put Donovan McNabb into that conversation? Where McNabb, McNabb got to four straight NFC championships and reached a Super Bowl. I mean, McNabb, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame, but McNabb, McNabb won more. McNabb won enough that I think that that's Philadelphia's weirdness, the reason that he's not well regarded. He went to five NFC championships because there was the one he played against the Cardinals that they didn't get in. He went to five NFC championship games. Stafford hasn't won a playoff game. Vince Young had it all. Vince Young had his moments. He did have his moments. It's true. He did. That was sort of that white hot, the prodigy. Like, that's the guy that couldn't have staying power. That's that's not Stafford's issue, right? It's Stafford's issue is not that either because of work ethic or something. It's that he has not been able to win. Vince Young about, either didn't work hard enough. Like he, he was a flash in the paint. Okay, how, how about another super athletic guy? How about Randall Cunningham, where it didn't really work out after his time in Philadelphia for a while until all of a sudden he found himself on the Vikings and that team went fifteen and one. That's a guy that I, I mean I think everyone who probably has watched Randall Cunningham back in the day probably says to himself, "Dude, that guy was so fun to watch. He was so talented." And yet, I mean, there was a stretch between his time with the Eagles and Vikings where you're like, wait, where, where, where is he? Who's he playing for? I, I, I legitimately do not know where he was playing for before he popped back up with Minnesota after where, how, however long he was in Philadelphia. Because there was a couple of years where he, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he wasn't the quarterback in Philly. I think he became a backup. I need to look at that because, but Cunningham was always someone that survived. The question with Cunningham was, can you have a running quarterback be consistent with a winner? That was still the, there's difference between college and pro quarterbacks, and Randall Cunningham might be the most athletic guy, and he did get banged up. Um, I, he might have missed a whole year. Cause yeah, 96, he was, he, was out of, he was out of the year in 1996. And I remember he was benched for, I think, uh, Rodney Pete in 1995 or something like that out of USC, and that's who the Eagles quarterback was for a couple of years. So all of those... That 
Cunningham was different. Cunningham's a good comparison because he was so so prolific. But Cunningham, it wasn't about, hey, is he an empty stat monster? It was, can you have a running quarterback be a successful NFL franchise mm. guy? Can can do you need to be a pocket passer? He yeah. was he was at the at the heart of that. And a question that really wasn't the answer to that didn't change until Michael Vick came in. It's Danny and Gallant. Let's keep this going. Uh, there there are a lot of interesting texts coming in as far as quarterbacks who always were thought to have it, and yet it never translated for some reason. Getting some good contributions. Danny and Gallant, seven ten ESPN Seattle.